welcome to the Nomadic Mindset Season 1. My name is Kevin Cottom, a global nomad and the author of the leadership book, The Nomadic Mindset Never Settle for Too Long. Over the season, we will go on a journey to discover what is the nomadic mindset and how you can tap into that. For this, I will be interviewing a diverse group of cross-cultural thought leaders from all walks of life. So let's get on with it. Let's go nomading together. Welcome to the Nomadic Mindset Podcast. Currently, we are in between seasons, and I wanted to bring to you a new episode with the astute and clarity-seeking Mark Brown. Mark works globally as a leadership facilitator and executive coach with some of the biggest multinational organizations around. I chose to speak to Mark because of his wealth of wisdom behind what he sees leaders and organizations are struggling with today. His 25 years in the business through multiple uncertain times gives us a superb lens to make better sense of this uncertain time. And along with that, he generously shares his ways of wisdom moving forward. Mark seeks clarity, and that is what I hope you will gain from this wonderful episode. I begin with our conversation by getting curious about what are the reasons he chose the name Time for Clarity as the name for his company? Well, I guess the, the governing thought is that my wife, Meg, and I, we're partners in the business. We really focus on being clear, cutting to the chase, focusing on, on what is most important, regardless of, of the work we're doing, whether we're working with leaders, whether we're coaching, whether it's about strategy. We just seem to agree that being clear is a very important thing to do. And we ended up naming our business after that when we were in Eastern Europe in, in the mid-90s, that it's time to be clear, hence time for clarity. And we are in a period now of seeking clarity, right? <laughs> Indeed. And so can you just talk about that and the con connection there between clarity and what is happening right now? Well, we all know it, but it, how it, you see it in your world. Well, as you know, Kevin, I, I work a lot with corporate leaders and some, some government leaders as well. And the, the situation right now is very uncertain. I'm, I'm telling you something you already know. There's, there's actually an acronym VUCA, which is very much in vogue now, V-U-C-A. And those letters stand for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. and Originally, that word was, or that phrase was created to talk about the battlefield environment for the military. When they were, the U.S. military was in Afghanistan or, or Iraq, it was a very non-traditional situation and very uncertain, very complex. Now it really applies very well to the business world because of this, this virus, the lockdowns that have followed. Um, and so leaders are really being challenged because of the, the lack of predictability, the incredible uncertainty that is surrounding everyone right now. So that's, I find myself working with a lot of clients around those key issues, dealing with the uncertainty, the unpredictability of, of the world right now and how to move forward. Yeah, unpredictability, uncertainty. These are certainly what you hear 
rampant in, in all walks of life and especially in organizations. Absolutely, I, I'm hearing it as well. Uh, seeing as we're in the same business in that. But, you know, it's very interesting in that how can people then, and these organizations and leaders especially, let's talk about that, get more clarity around the bigger picture? Well, granted, it, it is easier said than done. I mean, the first thing we, I think we both do is acknowledge how very difficult this is. One piece of advice that I give to, to my clients, which are mostly multinationals, is to, to go back to fundamentals, to look very carefully at their core values as, as a firm, as individuals, as leaders, and basically say, all right, what is most important? What must we focus on now? What must we conserve going forward? Because in, in such a, a crazy situation, there's a tendency to put out fires and just to react and try to take care of everything. And to the extent that we can, I think it's important to take a step back and say, all right, what is truly important? And mm. what am I going to focus on first and second and third? And this at least gives you a compass heading for the direction that you need to go. Mm. That compass heading, absolutely. I mean, as we've talked about with my book, The Nomadic Mindset, Never Settle for Too Long, there is a real compass in that. and. Uh, I remember you saying that there needs to be a shift and a change, but there needs to be a letting go and then moving forward of some of the pieces that uh, might be holding these leaders and also organizations back. Can you speak to that around really letting go of, yeah, really letting go? Well, I, I'd be glad to, and, and you're right. We, you and I have talked about this before, one of the, the concepts that I love about your nomadic book and, and the concept is this idea of, of moving, staying on the move and knowing when it's time to leave and move to a new pasture or to, to a new part of the region. I also am struck by the relevance for what I, I know is the Bridges model. And just a quick aside, this is a model by William Bridges, which talks about change as a process that takes place over time. And we, we can think of it in three stages. The first of which is indeed letting go, letting go of the old, letting go of something. Then that is followed by a, a neutral zone of uncertainty, transition, one analogy might be adolescence. You know, we're, we're between childhood and adulthood. Adolescence is a big neutral zone or a learning curve. When you, you take on a new position, there's that ramping up phase. That's also a neutral zone. And then Bridges explains that as you come to the end of that, you cross the frontier into the new, embracing the new situation, the new challenge, the new job, the new relationship, what have you. So I find some real interesting parallels between this Bridges model, letting go and then being in a zone of uncertainty, your book, The Nomadic Concepts, and the current situation we're in right now. Because long story short, we have to let go of a lot of the old certainties, a lot of the old ways we did business. And right now we're smack in the middle of a very uncertain neutral zone. We don't know how long this is going to last, 
what the ultimate impact is going to be. So I find that those, those concepts, your, your nomadic ideas and also Bridges transition model are really quite relevant for this crazy situation we're in today. Mm. I like this model very much. It sounds very interesting. I'll have to do some work, uh, look on it uh, in online, the William Bridges model. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I feel that there will be those that will are questing for the, the old, which is the, what they call the normal and moving into the new normal, which I don't really buy into because I don't think there is a new normal and I don't believe in the, the term and this other term pivot and all sorts of things are kind of like words that we have created now, but these lead into that letting go of these old models, but also these old terms, even though it seems new. And I'm thinking that because of our mindset, we need to move into a mindset which is very much letting go, but it's also about understanding the breadth of what are the possibilities and to accept and to just really jump or leap into these in many ways, not without thinking, but at the same time, if you do too much thinking, you may not leap, right? So in, the, in what you know, the nomadic people do is they never settle for too long, but they settle long enough to reap the benefits of where they are before the season changes. They understand this historically. Why have we, in many ways, do you think, not understood that, that everything is a season in many ways? Well, <laughs> that, that's, that's actually a, a profound question. I, I think part of that, and you address this in your book, is the fact that these nomads live in nature all the time. I mean, they are in nature constantly. They're constantly aware of it. And they never deceive themselves that they are more powerful or that they can, can really shape nature or the environment. They realize that they're very small. Most of us who have been away from the natural world and have been educated in, in more formalistic, empiricist ways, we like to think that we can control things, that if we analyze it and do the math and do the hard work, we can control the future and nature and our destiny. And I think from time to time, Mother Nature comes around and says, not so fast. And we're in <laughs> one of those moments now. It, it's really very humbling for us as a human race to realize how little we can do. But as you say, it's also an opportunity to turn the page and, and perhaps try something new and, and different ways of doing things. So like you, I'm, I'm optimistic. Mm, I'm very optimistic. And I, I see this as a time of of newness, of, of, of rebirth, a new birth in many ways. And you're probably aware of the woman, what was her name? Well, I can't remember her name, but she's the woman in Spain that is 113, who recently just survived COVID. And she was talking about this is our moment for humanity and for us to change. And she says, we're in the new human age. And I thought that was very profound. I mean, she's lived since the big, in, in the First World War, right? So she's seen an enormous amount. Now, with that, though, is that we are going into a new age. And I want to continue on this about letting go and control what you just talked about. Is control a factor of stopping that letting go? 
it may be it may be part of it. I, I mean, this is this is a good question. I think also many of us are just reluctant to change. I mean, I I'm 60 years old, and I know you're of a, a similar age, and simply as a function of the years, it gets a little more difficult to change as we get older. Also, if if we reach a degree of comfort with our material goods and with wealth, what have you, we may be reluctant to risk that. And so I, I think there are a number of things that make us a little resistant to change. It's, it can be exhausting. It can imply a, a loss of control. We don't want to lose what we've worked so hard for. So I think there's a lot going on here psychologically for all of us. Mm. Um, and some of it's going to be pressed upon us. And if the past is any guide, many people will just run into the future with open arms. Many people will resist it tooth and nail. And then I think there's a middle group that'll just kind of be dragged along depending on how things go. We humans have very different approaches to change. Mm. So if we think of those three areas, the run for change and resist and also drag to lawn, what are you seeing in the organizations and what is from your observation and also listening, how do you see this all sort of playing out in some ways? It's a crystal ball for you, but I mean, I'm just curious what, how you sense this. Yeah, you know, I, I get the sense that I'm dealing with pretty intelligent people. They've risen to positions of responsibility and, and relative power in their organizations. So they're, they're not stupid by any means. They're pretty clever. And they realize that change is inevitable. There's no going back completely. So intellectually, they say, okay, let's figure this out. Then it becomes more a question of analysis. All right. What can we bring from the past? What's going to change completely? And then it becomes a, a rather different discussion. So for most of the executives that I'm working with, the general attitude is, okay, yes, we're going to change. Things are going to be very different. Let's do some careful thinking and analysis so that we change in the right way. So it's kind of a conservative approach, but acknowledging, hey, this has got to happen. When you say conservative approach, do you think that it needs to be a little bit less conservative to move us forward in some organizations? Um, possibly. I mean, I'm a fairly conservative guy, too. I'm, I started my career in finance, and I, I believe numbers can tell us a lot. I know there are a lot of companies out there that have to figure out how to invest millions and millions going forward, and they really don't know what the world's going to look like. So that's a very chancy situation. And so I can't blame them for going slowly, doing a bit of trial and error, managing the risk. And I'll repeat that phrase because I think it's quite operative right now in business, trying to manage the risk because there's so much uncertainty out there. You just have to try to control what you can as you make decisions about investing, hiring, firing, what have you. So there's a lot of analysis going on right now, trying to figure out what's going on and what's coming next. So what type of mindset needs to be into this particular zone of the age? Then if you're talking about managing risk, it sounds very tight and not so loose. 
It does. And I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think there is an antidote to that. Because if we only focus on numbers and the facts that we're, we're certain about, it really does limit the solution space. So one thing that I'm encouraging my clients to, to do is to really open their ears, so to speak, and listen to everybody, consult with everybody, accept or at least consider crazy ideas. Try to work in a more agile way and less hierarchical because you know, hierarchy works very well when you're in a predictable, controlled situation, you know what you're dealing with. But when facts go out the window, as they have now, you're dealing with such uncertainty, you need inputs from everybody, regardless of seniority or expertise. So in a way, I think this is the antidote to that conservative risk management approach. It's yes, we're going to, we're going to analyze and study it very carefully, but we're going to open our solution space by listening to everybody, by consulting and, and leveraging the wisdom of crowds. And maybe you've heard that phrase before. Mm. Wisdom of crowds. Mm. Very good. Listening to what the public is telling you, listening to the feedback, experimenting with a new product or a new service, run it out there, get quick reactions to it, and then adjust rather than a, a three-year preparation and launch period. Put a prototype out there every couple of months and see how people react to it. This is very much the, the agile way of thinking. And especially now in this VUCA uncertain environment, I think we're going to see more of that. Taking smaller, quicker risks to see what will work. Mm. So that, men that mentality, Kevin, I think is going to be important going forward. That willingness to experiment, to accept some short-term failures in order to get the medium and long-term answer correct. Yeah, I like the way you say short-term failures, and perhaps it's really embracing the fact that this is a whole new age and, and that really let's embrace failure, period, and see what extraordinary things can come out of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't think anybody wants to embrace failure permanently, no. but short-term failures as, as means to an end, as, as means to to figuring this out. It's, it's really trial and error on steroids. It, it's going <laughs> faster and being willing to take a number of smaller risks in order to figure out the answers. Mm -hmm. Is this making sense? I'm, I'm jumping around. No, 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 it's, it's, it's great. It's great. And I think that what you're saying is, is giving the audience a flavor for what's out there and what's going on. And I think that's really the most important thing is yes, everyone's looking for an answer, but there's not one answer. And that's the, the thing that we have to be very careful with is that at today, now there are multiple, multiple, multiple possibilities. And technology is even showing us this on many levels. And that creates chaos and the you know, unpredictable and the uncertainty as well, right? So I agree with you completely, especially what you say about there not just being one answer. I mean, every, every individual, every business is facing different challenges. And, and so there are going to be a lot of different answers. And I think 
experimentation is is going to be the way forward because with without without precedent without data nobody's ever been through this before it's going to take that mindset so the people i'm advising i think are making an effort to to keep open minds and to to experiment to be willing to take those risks but also bringing with them the the good practices from the past of of business, of good decision-making, of rigor, of consultation, of analysis. We can't just say, oh, it's a new world and throw all of that away. Mm. But we need to bring those tools into the future and use them in a, a slightly different fashion, perhaps. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely in a different fashion. I, I, one thing that I wanted to ask you, and it, and it popped up in my mind, was do you find that even some of the organizations that you're working with are actually reaching out to do more partnerships with others so that they can create a bigger span of, of wisdom and knowledge so that they, it's not just about, oh, it's my organization or your organization, we're going to beat you to, to wherever we need to get to, but this collaboration, co-creation, partnerships, uh, which are what is being said in the ether, is that's the way forward. Absolutely right. Now, it, it's interesting. I think almost everybody would like to do that, to turn outward rather than inward. In some organizations, it's already in their DNA, especially younger, maybe tech-oriented it's just in their DNA and they do it very naturally. Other more conservative organizations that are more hierarchical, traditional, it's not as natural, but they're working on it. And, and I give them a lot of credit. I'm working with a big telecoms company and that is not their nature because they come from a very competitive industry. But in these new circumstances, even that, that firm is really making an effort to collaborate Look for partnerships and and extend the extend the networks. So it's happening exactly exactly as you say, but at different speeds depending upon the organizations. Mm, mm, that's good to hear. Excellent to hear. And I, I guess uh, statistically, what would you say that people are actually ready to make? And I, I want to say leap. The reason I say leap is, you know how they say in Africa and some of the countries that were first, you know, impoverished, they never had telephones. And so we have, we went through the cycles of telephones of the different types and whichever, and they just leapt straight to the mobile phone. And this is a period, I believe, of leaping. It's in many ways. And I, I want to throw that at you as to say, do you think that this is a period of leaping and we're leaping to Again, where? Interesting analogy. I, I've studied that case about the, the telecoms in, in Africa and, and leapfrogging an entire technology. And it, it's a brilliant, a brilliant case, very interesting. And I think, yes, in certain areas, it will turn out to be a, a leap story where, hey, let's just skip that and move on to the next. At this point, it's not certainly not clear to me which industries, which sectors are going to be able to do that mm -hmm. and which ones will need to just kind of plod forward step by step. So I kind of agree with you. There's going to be some leaping and we'll look back on it and say, my God, that was brilliant. Look what they did. 
but it's still a bit early in the day to say which ones are going to leap and which ones are going to crawl. Uh, we, we don't know yet. Mm. What stage do you think we're at now, though? I mean, you started off with this and, you know, when we talked about the Bridges model and we're now coming out of this lockdown, the mental state of the grieving and the situation of where we are into opening up tentatively and some people pushing out there as as individuals and forgetting about the social distancing and all this business. Uh, where, where, what are the stages that you think that we're going through? Because I think this is actually quite interesting. Well, this is again a personal view, and I'm I'm not a scientist. I don't really, I don't claim any knowledge on the science. I don't think we're coming out of the lockdown. I think we're making a tentative step to see what we can get away with, and then we'll adapt to that. It's it's very much trial and error. So I think it's. Frankly, it's still pretty early days. Uh, I see it as the we're letting go of some things and we're stepping into the neutral zone a little bit, but it's going to be a bit of a journey. Everything I read is that this is a marathon and not a sprint. So I, I think it's still pretty early. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I'm saying I believe that we're beginning to let go of things we're in the neutral zone, but it's it's going to be a long journey. Well, yes. I mean, there's so many speculations about the long journey. I find it quite interesting is that so many people have said, well, I I don't really know where the time is going, you know, and how I'm spending my time, you know. I, and I find that very interesting is, is that maybe we want to just learn to spend that time in different ways now and as we move forward. But again, we don't really sense where the future is because uh, just on a very practical level, I want to go back to Canada. But, well, I can't really because there are many factors that it won't allow me, such as an airplane. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to kayak all the way back. And, but the thing is, is that, so it's, it's making us be in the now and be very present. And do you think that, organizations are actually existing in the now or they're just propelling forward? Well, two points. First, this, this reminds me of some of the key ideas from your book because the nomads that you lived with and, and studied with, they, they have a very different conception of time and they don't fool themselves that they can control it or dominate it. They just flow with it. And I, I think there's a lot that we could all learn from them in, in that regard. In, in terms of what's going on in the business world, at least the connections that I have, it's still pretty much old school. Let's have a meeting. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's divide the tasks and try to, to take a few steps forward with the work that we have. It's still pretty conservative. Let's, let's take care of our people, which is very important. I find this a lot of firms are saying, look, we really need to look after our employees we need to also look after our client relationships. So there, there's a lot of good prioritization going on in my mm -hmm. view in that, in that sense. But I think we're still pretty constrained by the old way we done, we've done business. I mean, it's only been a few months. It takes a long time to, to make big changes. Yeah, those are habits, right? And, and patterns and and sure. systems and things like that, right? So yeah, I've been in I've been in business for almost forty years, and those are not habits that one changes in in a couple months. You know, you try, you keep an open mind, 
but it is definitely a process. So we, we have to be patient with ourselves and with each other. Which would be very interesting because, you know, so many people have talked about the multi-generations working together. And this is a period of the youth organizations and the youth to really excel and to, to really move forward into new ideas and thoughts in which they do and, and collaboration and, you know, co-creation and all of this. And how do you think the strain will be, or I put the word strain sounds negative, but do you, I sense there will be strain then uh, between the generations a little bit more. What do you think? Well, you know, it's, it's actually an interesting point. And it, it reminds me of a, a story or something that Meg and I lived through. Back in the 90s, we were doing quite a bit of work in Russia. And if you recall, there was a big financial crisis in Russia in 1998, where the bottom basically fell out of the, the market. So we were there in 97 and everything was go, go, go and growth and excitement. And the people that were in leadership roles were the ones that were able to lead this growth and expansion. And they were doing very well with it. We went back exactly a year later and the crisis had occurred. The bottom had fallen out and it was a totally different lineup of leaders because the people that had done so well under positive circumstances of growth did not really have the skill set or the mindset to lead during very difficult, challenging times where you're mm. cutting costs and you're trying to retain talent and you're trying to innovate. So we were really struck by how the circumstances changed the, the, the leadership profile that you needed. And I think it's, it's pretty much what we're going through now. There are going to be a lot of new leaders emerging, some young, some not so young, but people who are much better suited to lead in these times than they were before. So I think that's going to be very interesting to watch as, as new leaders emerge from, from all the generations because they are suited to lead through these circumstances. Fantastic. So now I would like to ask you, what makes those leaders and those are the leaders of, that are going to take us through this? Wow. Boy, I wish I, I wish I had a recipe. I think there are a number of things that are going to be important. And, and what I've seen emerge thus far is empathy for one thing, holding people together looking after relationships, whether it's relationships with your colleagues, with your clients, your stakeholders, the, the empathic leaders seem to be coming to the fore. This is in contrast to the ones who are purely about productivity or profit or market share. There's nothing wrong with those things, but it, it's a matter of managing the people side. So that seems to be important. Empathic leaders are emerging. Building on that, as I said earlier, people who are willing to, to listen to everybody, to entertain crazy ideas because they recognize that we're in crazy times. So we need people who are open-minded and willing to have a dialogue, even with people that they may not have had dialogues with in the past. And finally, I'll come back to this idea of agility that I mentioned earlier, this idea of leveraging the wisdom of crowds 
and then failing quickly, experimenting, trying something, getting the feedback, and then putting out another prototype. So taking these small steps forward in the direction that the feedback is leading. Uh, I think that agile approach to business and leadership is really going to be very important going forward. Which is interesting, which actually leads me into the question of the, when I've been doing any talks around the nomadic mindset, which has been very interesting, and I do some polls with it, and I do a variety of avatars and to share what is the nomadic mindset, the builder mindset, and the settler mindset. And very interesting, Mark, is that the majority of people in the room, depending on the industry, it doesn't really shift much, is the majority are of the builder mindset. Six, two-thirds of the audience usually is that. And then we go to settler, then we go to nomad. Hmm. So interestingly enough, and I ask the question, what is, your, what is the mindset that your organization or you need in your company now more than ever? And they all say, oh, not they all, but I mean the majority shifts to over two-thirds nomadic mindset, hmm. which is, is, is fascinating. And what I haven't asked and what I will ask now is, well, what are you doing about it? So... This is very interesting what you're saying, because what you're saying is the idea of what, what, what are the qualities fit exactly into what is the nomadic mindset. Empathy, relationships, listening, open-minded, agility, all of this, which I find fascinating what you're saying. It kind of closes the circle between our two perspectives, because you, know, you and I take a different look at things, but I think our attitudes and our philosophies meet in this very area that we're talking about. Absolutely. And I love it that your book is about empathy. So it has also now come into a real time for itself. Can you just speak a little bit about that? Well, indeed. My, my book, which I wrote, I guess, four years ago, is called The Empathic Enterprise. And the, the key idea is remaining human, staying human in a digital world. And without going into great detail, my, my thesis was that we're losing the human element in business, that digital is overwhelming us, and that we need, need to make a real effort to dial things back a bit and, and find better balance between technology and the human touch. Of course, that was written several years before this coronavirus hit, but I think it's, I think it's relevant even today that this need for empathy taking care of the relationships, believing that we're all in this together, that, that's what's going to get us through this, is being in it together. Ah. And there is a fantastic way to end, being in there together. And this is beautiful. So I, I'd like, this has brought us around from full circle, Mark, and uh, being in this together is a beautiful and is exactly what is needed. And so I want to thank you very much for that final, especially, statement, which is the best one of all. And so if there's anything else you wish to say to our audience and to leaders, what would that be? Well, I think building on that, it's take care of yourselves. Every time I speak to a group or, or an individual, I say this, you've got to take care of yourself 
so you can take care of other people. Uh, I, I see people working so hard to take care of their teams, their families, their, their stakeholders, their clients, which is all fine, but they're, they're just running themselves into the ground. And in order to look after others, we need to, to take care of ourselves. It's not selfishness, it's really common sense. So the basics, you know, eat well, get your rest, manage your stress, exercise, take care of yourself so you can be there to take care of others. Mm, being there together, take care of yourself. Fantastic. Mark, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful time together. And I, I knew it was going to be great because I love being with you and hearing your conversation because you are incredibly wise and, and so clear. And it is the time for clarity. Let's hope so. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure. Take good care. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to The Nomadic Mindset Season 1. My name is Kevin Cottom. And I invite you to find out more about The Nomadic Mindset at thenomadicmindset.com. Until next time, make it a point to go nomading and start discovering your nomadic mindset.